Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell. It's today we do this show with a little heavy hearts. Today, racing is my first love as far as sports are concerned, and in that, in this love, we we tend to see some tragedy. And this weekend, there's no different. Uh, Dirt star and former Indianapolis 500 driver and NASCAR driver Brian Clawson was injured in a in an accident last night in the Belleville Midget Nationals and was airlifted to a local hospital. Reports are that Clarson that Brian Clawson is in critical condition at a local hospital. Uh, I speak for I know my co-hosts tonight. We do this show with heavy hearts and keep the family and friends of Brian Clawson near and dear to our hearts tonight. It's talking in circles. Welcome to Talking Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with John Harlow and Ryan Beckness. We're bringing you another episode of Talking in Circles. The Cheez-It 355 at the Glen was run this weekend. 28th career win for Denny Hamlin. Uh, he led the final 10 laps. Used a little strategy at a fast race car and was able to win the Cheez-It 355 at the Glen. John Harlow, your thoughts on the Cheez-It 355 at the Glen? It was... A typical road course race where there were four or five different strategies. They were trying, everybody was trying to make it on gas. And as typical with any road course, a caution breeds a caution because double file on a road course is not good, especially when everybody's trying to get into turn one. And you saw the last 20 laps where they have four or five different restarts in there, and especially the melee going into the last turn. Um, Truex and Keselowski aren't going to be sending each other Christmas cards here soon. Um, uh, 42. Kyle Larson and uh, A.J. Allmendinger won't be sending Christmas cards to anybody really soon. Uh, It was a good race. It was strategy. Denny Hamlin played it right. Um, Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch both blew it because they had the front row. And both of them tried to dive bomb into turn one while they were both in the lead and wound up both overshooting it. And that's how Hamlin got himself to the lead because they both dive bombed turn one coming on a restart. Uh, Hamlin drove clean. He drove what he was supposed to do. Um, Made it for a good race. But there was trouble throughout. I mean, Austin Dillon and Jeff Gordon getting into it early. Jimmy Johnson, thankfully, only hit the passenger side, number 17, instead of the mm-hmm. driver's side, number 17, is Stenhouse. And that's the first thing that Johnson said whenever he came out of the care center. And, I mean, it was a really good race, but it was your typical road course race. There was passing all over the place. There were wrecks all over the place. And I think next year will be even better when Goodyear is able to bring a tire that isn't a repave tire. You put a hard tire on there. They were running faster laps, 20 laps into a run, than they were the first lap. And Goodyear's tires are supposed to fall off, not gain speed as they go. Yeah, it was a crazy week uh, for just to see the speeds. You know, even in qualifying, we saw the speeds pick up uh, later on in with more laps on their tires. Ryan Beckner, uh, you know, it was Ryan. Uh, it was a great run. Denny Hamlin and JGR seemed to really have this weekend. Uh, you know, they got off to a great start. They all qualified up front. Truex was running really good for his issues. Denny Hamlin was able to be the one JGR car that didn't have a problem really uh, and was able to uh, get the victory here at Watkins Glen. Yeah, between JGR and the Penske cars, it was really hard to, to 
set your fancy lineup on knowing who was going to win this race. You were just hoping for the best if you picked any of their guys. And I'm not entirely sure that the majority of the fans out there would have picked Hamlin as the one JGR car to win a road course race because of several things. Simply, he hasn't won a road course race in his career in the Cup Series. And on top of that, his lone win was a Daytona 500. I've always said four-car teams never prosper. There's always that one-week team, even if all four teams run decent and win races. And I don't, in my in my opinion, Denny was not going to going to win this race out of the four JTR cars before the weekend started. You see, Carl Edwards got involved in the wreck. Matt Kenseth had his typical road course race. You know, he, he he might run decent, but he you know to expect him to win. That's the road courses are simply his some of his worst tracks. And if he ever comes out there for top ten, you know he's satisfied. And Kyle Busch, he had one of the best cars all day long. Uh, and, and like John mentioned, he had a, a bad restart there when him and Brad Keselowski both dive bomb turn one, and they both just went right off the course, and Hamlin snuck on by. You know, Hamlin drove a very careful race, and in, in the end there, he held it was near a drive and held off through it. I think I think he deserved and earned the victory. Yeah, it was a it was a race you mentioned that was pretty much dominated by the Georgia Gibbs Racing cars and the Team Penske cars. They led seventy six to ninety laps. JGR led forty. Uh, DGR powered cars, I should say, if you include Truex, led 40 laps, and Team Penske cars led 36. So those are the teams that we've seen dominate here in the last recent weeks. Uh, really, no team's really been able to get to the top of, of the of the total goal other than those two, and they really went out and led a lot of laps today and kind of uh, dominated this race today, including Joe Logano. Logano has become quite the diverse driver here. Um, he's proven he can, he can win on any type of racetrack. He's great on the super speedways. He's good on the short tracks. He's good on in the intermediate, and he's been really, really strong on these road courses as well. And here he goes out today, finishes in his second spot. Uh, even with the damaged race car, there was a time, you know, when he got in, in a little bit of a skirmish on the racetrack where Steve Lutzar from NBC said, hey, listen, uh, that's probably going to slow Kyle Lawson down and impede the way he's, you know, his progress towards the front of the field. Well, guess what? It didn't do that. He was able to get up there and stay up there and finish in his second spot. But, you know, you can't talk about this race without two major controversies at the end. John, you touched on it before. We're going to dive into it right now. Brad Kislowski in third. He was running fourth coming into uh, the weekend there, coming into the final turn there. Uh, Mark Truex Jr. was in front of him, and it's contact between Kislowski and Truex sent Kislowski spinning, or excuse me, Truex spinning. Uh, Truex finished in the seventh spot. A lot of people are upset at Brad Kislowski for taking out Truex. Truex has kind of become a fan favorite here, um, and he's really done a good job at Spurnersville Racing, but, uh, you know, I thought Kislowski handled it okay. I mean, he obviously did get into Truex. There's no denying that, but I thought he kind of manned up and, and said, yeah, it was my fault and handled it well. Uh, what were your thoughts on that situation between Truex and Kislowski? In the past, the way Kislowski has done stuff like that, you could have expected fisticuffs at the end. But when Truex came up to him, and it's part of the difference between um, Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano. Joey Logano, his natural facial expression is almost a smirk. So whenever he's apologizing to you, if he does, it almost feels like he's sort of, yeah, right, I'm, I'm doing this because I have to, but I'd screw you again the next chance I get. Um, Keselowski, whenever Truex went up to him after the race, and Truex smacked him a couple times, I mean, hit him in the rear end a few times on the cool-down lap. And Truex actually said after the race, he said, Brad said, hey, my bad, my fault, 100% my fault. And I knew it. And Truex said, it's all good, it's hard racing, but he just wanted him to know that he wasn't happy after the race. They could have easily gone into fisticuffs. It could have easily become a real true melee in there. But cooler heads prevailed, intelligence paid off. I mean, and Brad, after some of the headaches he's had in the past, where he has gone in there and dive-bombed and caused trouble and wrecked a few people on his way to getting where he wanted to go, I think he's realizing you getting close to the chase, and Truex is the guy, one of the guys you have to beat in this chase because that 78 team is running great. I think he realized, hey, I better just put this to bed right now not brew on it, but he also saw what Kenseth did to Joey Logano last year in the chase. He, I don't think he wants the revenge being paid off here. He thinks he wants, I think they want good, clean racing between the two of them. I think it was smart on Brad's end to just say, hey, it was my fault. I screwed up. Especially if you hit, your front end hits the rear end of somebody else, 
the person in front of you is not at fault. So yeah, there's no going right. into there after the race and saying, oops, you screwed up. No, your rear end hit, I mean, your front end hit my rear end. You were the one who was wrong. And Brad said flat out, hey, I was wrong. And they went, they, they're going forward from it. And I think it was a smart move on Keselowski's part. Absolutely. And, and I thought Brad handled it. You know, obviously, you never like to see anybody take anybody out. But I thought Brad handled it about as well as he could at the end of that race. And even on the cool down lap when they were kind of taking swipes at each other, you know, Brad was kind of saying, that's on me, I apologize, I'm sorry. You know, you can kind of tell with his hand gestures. But at the end, this didn't hurt Truex as bad, that badly. I mean, he's in a chase. He's got a few, he's got wins, though. He's in a, he's locked in a chase. It's not going to hurt him uh, as far as the championship is concerned because once these uh, next four races are over, you know, we kind of restart with, with a few bonus points going to the chase. So it's not going to hurt Martin Truex Jr. all that much. So I think that had a lot to do with it where, you know, maybe if it was a different situation, you know, uh, we would have seen it. Uh, a little bit of a retaliation. Maybe if this is in the chase, we see some retaliation. But you know, let's. So that leads me to my next topic here, guys. And I'll touch. I'll get Ryan's, uh, Ryan's opinion on this first here. Um, and that was the incident between AJ Allmendinger and Kyle Larson. Larson, I thought, uh, ran an absolutely phenomenal race all day long. I thought, you know, he impressed me. I mean, there were, you know, he got off to a little bit of a rough start this weekend. Tony Stewart kind of had to uh, during a practice session, kind of had to talk to him and set him down, and Tony got a little annoyed at him. So his weekend got off to a good start, but I thought Larson, out of all the cars that were up front, even A.J. Allmendinger, I thought Larson ran a better race than he did. He was up front all day long, was strong, and then him and A.J. got together. It sent Larson into the outside, inside retaining wall, uh, and that really hurt Larson because he doesn't have a win yet, guys. He needs to get in on his points on the chase. That team got off to a really, really tough uh, start to this season. By the first ten races, they were – uh, not very good in points. I believe they're about 25th. But he's come on like like fire lately and has really run good. Uh, and today was was a no, no exception. He was he was strong again all day today. But a 29th place finish he ended up after the wreck on a final turn. Uh, that had to be disheartening for Kyle Larson there, Ryan Beckner. What were your thoughts on that accident? Well, as the accident as a whole, uh, it's really hard to find a, a very good camera angle as to see what exactly happened, but obviously what camera angles we've been able to see from it, uh, A.J. Elmdinger is already in the back of Larson by the time we catch it, so Larson goes around and hits the water bells right there, and I think he lost about 24 points from that wreck, and, and like you mentioned, him trying to make it to the chase on points because he doesn't have a win yet, that was just huge in hurting his chase chances there, and I believe he's now 16th in points, and barely, you know, he's barely right there at it, and he needs those points, every, every single point he can get. And he's got a few racetracks coming up that he, he doesn't exactly have the best results at either, so he's going to really need some good showings at these racetracks, just like he did today at Watkins Glen in order to make up some of those points. And you brought up the incident between him and Tony Stewart there. You know, both drivers were getting a lot of flack from fans regarding that incident there. I mean, really, the whole incident there really just started with Larson came out of pit road and was just going slow on the racetrack and not moving over. And by the time Tony caught him on a fast lap, it ruined his lap. You know, and, 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 you know, it's like I tell people, anybody who comes from a dirt racing background is like family to Tony Stewart. I mean, you, you mean that, that's just a given right there. How many times have they raced sprint cars in, all around America? You know, I mean, Larson's like family to Tony, so he would never do anything to hurt him or anything like that. So he just went over there right. for a nice professional, you know, I'm not going to say father-son talk, so to say, but due to the age, that's the way I'm going to word it. He went there and had a nice little talk with him, you know. Everybody moved on from there, but next time Larson will remember, you know, just whenever you get out there on a road course especially, you don't have a an access road you can drive on just to stay out of the way like you do at mile and a half racetracks where you can enter on the racetrack on the backstretch, and by then your car is already up to speed pretty good. You know, you don't have that road course, so next time he'll remember, hey, I better, uh, I'm going up through the S's here, I better go ahead and stay high and let these fast cars go, and by the time we get to the to the bootleg down there, we should be all right. Yeah, it, it was an interesting scenario, and you know, AJ's a guy who's an interesting guy. You know, he uh, was part, if you listen to um, NBC's uh, talk today, he was kind of, I wouldn't say, you know, killing AJ Allmendinger, but he was he was kind of critical of his attitude a lot today, saying, you know, AJ is really hard on himself. He needs to kind of be a little bit more positive. Uh, and here was a situation where, you know, AJ had a, I thought he had a pretty good race. I mean, the team, he, he spent on pit road, and a lot of people did, and we'll touch on that later, but uh, he spent on pit road. And that really hurt his chances to, to win that race, put him in, in, a, in a bad spot as far as track position went, was concerned. Uh, but he was able to get a top five, to run in the top five, was looking like a fifth-place run there. 
And then the incident between him and Larson, John Harlow, your thoughts on that incident between Larson and Almendinger real quick uh, before we move on. I think uh, the incident itself wouldn't have been such a big deal if with about 15 laps to go when A.J. was trying to get by um, Casey Mears, that he wouldn't have ran. He almost ran Carson, I mean Kyle Larson into the pit wall, the inside wall going down the front straightaway. He almost ran him into the wall because he was trying to block him and also get by Casey Mears at the same time. And Larson said flat out, "I thought he would have been smarter than that because he knows they both knew that they weren't running for a win because they were back there in sixth, seventh place at the time. They weren't going to get the win, but he." Larson expected better out of Almendinger, and A.J. was contrite about it, but Larson said there's payback coming, so it could be interesting as they go forward. I think Larson, like you said, Ryan, he is – if Stewart had his choice of who he could have put in that 14 car and if Larson's contract would have equaled out at the same time, Kyle Larson would have been in the 14 car next year. That's how much respect Tony Stewart has for Kyle Larson. And – Kyle Larson's teammate, whole different thing, because if I if I had a dollar for every F-bomb Stewart dropped about McMurray this year, I'd probably be going, I mean, I'd probably be on an all-exclusive vacation to anywhere in the world right now and not doing the show with you guys, because that's how bad Stewart and McMurray have not gotten along this year. But Stewart pulled Larson aside like the crazy old uncle does and says, hey, this is how you do it, boy, the same way that... Mark Martin would pull him aside whenever he was the wild young kid coming up out of the dirt in the IndyCar ranks and got the lessons from Mark Martin and Tony Stewart giving those lessons to Kyle Larson. I think, as you see going forward, Larson's barely in the chase right now, but he's going to do – I mean, he's run well at Bristol lately. Michigan is not a bad track for him, especially with the low, low downforce package they're going to run. Darlington's up in the air because, again – you don't know what's going to happen at Darlington, and Larson runs pretty good at Richmond. So I think Larson mm-hmm. should find a way to hold into the top 16 unless we get a surprise winner. Yeah, it was a 24-point. I think Ryan touched on this, and he was right. A 25-point uh, difference between finishing fourth today and 29th today for Kyle Larson, and that would have put him right up. His problem is you have to look at, at Chris Buescher now because Chris Buescher is going to throw a wrench in everybody's chase chances and he's 30 points off Jamie McMurray, who's 14th in points. Larson is now, like I said, 30 points off in 15th. Currently, as we sit, he is in the chase. But Busher, I believe, is about three points. And I believe the number is three to David Reagan right now. He's three points back at David Reagan for 30th. So all Busher needs to do in these next four races is outrun David Reagan by three points, which I think he should be able to do. Um, and if he does that, he's in the chase. So Larson's going to have to gain... Uh, in order to make it in the points, he's going to gain 30 points on his teammate, Gene McMurray, uh, and 39 points on Austin Dillon to make the chase on points. So uh, a really tough point today for Kyle Larson. Uh, I feel bad for him because, again, I thought he ran a, a great, solid race today. He didn't do anything crazy today. I thought he did a lot of good things today. And, unfortunately, sometimes the racing gods are against you, and they were against Kyle Larson today, so that hurt his chase chances. We talked about Tony Stewart before. Solid fifth-place run again. Uh, you know, he, listen, these road course races, I'm a big believer in qualifying here. You have to qualify up front. Stewart did that. He was able to stay on the sequences of, of the leaders. He didn't have to do any crazy pit sequences to, you know, gain him some track position. He was able to stay with the leaders. Ended up fifth. Not a remarkable day. Didn't lead a ton of laps, but a solid day, a fifth place run. Gives him good points. He, he needs some points right now to stay in the top 13 points. Uh, another solid points day for Tony Stewart. So a nice job by him. And Kyle Busch was sixth. Kyle uh, was up front all day long, led some laps, but uh, was able kind of got pushed around on some restarts there, and that hurt him as well. You talked about McMurray. Um, McMurray finished in the eighth spot. I thought he ran pretty good too. And a guy I want to give a call out to before we, we go to you, John, here, um, is Trevor Bain. Bain was up, was, is a guy who uh, I don't think he's gotten a lot of respect from a lot of fans this year, but if you look at the points, he's behind, right behind Kyle Larson. 16th in points. He's only eight back of Larson. Um, it's it's going to take a win, I think, for that 16 to get in on a chase. But he's had a pretty nice year and a ninth place run, a very unexpected, solid run from Trevor Bain today at Watkins Glen. 
Uh, I thought a very good one for that for that Roush Fenway team uh, in that six car for Trevor Bain. I think Bain John. did a really good job of staying out of trouble. He was close to the incidents, but he didn't get caught up in anything. He just kept his nose clean and kept digging forward, which is something that Trevor Bain hasn't always been able to do. He somehow has been close to the mess most of the time, and the mess could always find him. Today he was close to the mess and somehow found his way through it. So it was a good day for Trevor Bain going forward. Um, I do think it's going to be real interesting. I think a big the, the move of the day today was Chris Busher's pit crew because the minute the red flag went yellow, 11 guys pounced on that car. They got him back out within two laps, and he wound up passing Harvick and getting another two spots on the track, which put him three points closer to David Reagan than he would have been. Those three points could make the difference at the end of Richmond, whether or not Chris Busher makes a chase or not. I think the best the biggest attaboy of the day are to the 11 people who were on Chris Busher's crew today that went in there and started sawing pieces off of that car and getting it to where it could run the last three laps. Yeah, it's a very good point, John, because uh, every point matters, especially when you're fighting for the chase spot, and that team definitely is, so uh, a very good point. Ryan Beckner, your thoughts there, uh, your final thoughts there on the on, on the run, who ran well and, and, and surprises before we get into uh, you know, Je- I'll get into Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson's day here next. But your thoughts on Trevor Bain and, and Tony Stewart and those guys? I definitely got to give a big out of boy to, to Trevor Bain because, like you've, uh, like John mentioned, though he's been. If you listen to any of the radio active that come out either on, on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday of, after every race, there's a lot of people that are generally always mad at Trevor. And a lot of times, the first people that come to mind for me is Danica Patrick and Clint Boyer. Those two. Uh, <laughs> Just those two don't seem to much care for him very much. And A.J. Almendinger, I know I said a few things about him, too. But with all of that being said, the biggest thing that helped him have that good run was uh, Jack Rouse putting him in that Xfinity Series race. Because he also ran pretty well in that race, too, before an incident uh, knocked him away. So I definitely give a big attaboy to that. And I definitely want to give a second attaboy to the pit crew at Front Road Motorsports for Chris Busher there because there was a whole lot of talk on their radio. Chris could not get the car off of the rumble strips there. And because of the red flag, NASCAR wanted him to get out of the car and go to the uh, ambulance and go to the infield care center. Well, Chris was like, just get me off, you know, the daggone strips and I can get it going. They wouldn't let him, and the, the crew was trying to tell him to stay in the car, too. So there was a lot, of, a lot of mixed stuff there. But in the end, like John said, he was able to make up a couple spots because of that next wreck. Come down to Richmond, there's going to be a whole lot of a whole lot of people watching him along with the guys that, that don't have a win yet. That's for sure when it comes to that. The other boys I want to give is to... A.J. Allmendinger and Joy Logano, just for the simple fact that they had pit road issues and put them way back there. And with, and with sure. the way the race played out with all of the wrecks and everything that went on, for both of them guys to come away with a second and an eighth-place finish, that's still pretty impressive, even even for them guys. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, no doubt Allmendinger was a guy who I think a lot of people had penciled in as a favorite to win this race. Wasn't able to do it, uh, but he had a solid point saying he needed he needed the points, you know, to try and get in as well. But you know, a couple of, uh, of interesting runs here. Casey Mears finished 12th. I thought that was a very good run for that team. They were up front all day. Uh, and Jeff Gordon, Jeff got into a a skirmish with Austin Dillon at the bus stop about I think 10 laps into this race, uh, maybe even before that. Had a lot of damage on the, on the front nose of his car. They were able to repair it. I mean, Jeff's not running for points. They're out there running trying to win races. So a little bit of a disappointing day for the Exalted team and for the Hendrick Motorsport the Radiate car. Um, but 14th place for him, if you're wondering how he did. Carl Edwards, a pole sitter, another driver who had some pit road issues. Pit road issues came up a lot today, John Harlow. Uh, a lot of speeding penalties. You see, uh, Ryan touched on Magano and A.J. Almendinger. Uh, a few other guys, Jimmy Johnson, had spent on pit road. Jeff Gordon spent on pit road a couple of times. Uh, they announced a a timing, more timing zones here on pit road going forward in the 2016 season. Do you think this is going to throw a wrench into a lot of people's how, how they go on the pit road here going forward? Because we saw an absurd amount of speeding penalties, uh, a lot more than what we normally see at Watkins Glen. Well, the, the one thing is they've always said pit road speed is 35, 45, 55, depending on the size of the track. 
but we're going to give you five mile an hour. It's always been that way. And then you get when Truex passed Harvick on pit road that night because he hit his timing zone, dropped the hammer, got into his pits, they said, okay, enough of this stuff. We're going to double the timing lines in here, and we're going to start catching people for speeding, which they've been doing all the time. And I think it's it's fair to everybody. Now you've got to stay at 55. I mean, granted, it makes winning the pole even that much better because all you have to do is get out of your pits and cross the line because you don't have that shock of speeding into your pit and speeding out of your pit like everybody else does until they hit that timing line. You're, you're at pit number one. All you do is pull out across the line, and you're in good shape. Um, I think <coughs> excuse me. it's fair to everybody. It's NASCAR actually enforcing a rule that's been there all along, and the drivers, as always, if you give them the chance, if you give them some gray area, they're going to step all over the gray area and cross the line every now and then and make sure NASCAR puts them back in the box. Yeah, it was, and that was very interesting to them. And this, I'm curious to see how this is going to go as we move forward to the next four races and even through the chase uh, if the speeding penalties will be uh, brought up a little bit. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles. Before we wrap up, Mark, I want to give some more shout-outs to a couple of drivers who ran good. Michael McDowell qualified 11th, ended up 17th. Uh, Dick Patrick led 11 last today. It was pit strategy why she was up there. Ended up 21st, not a great points day for her, but a decent day. Also, Boris said, and Boris wasn't even, I, he was supposed to be retired. He came back this week. Um, I know he did some laughs in the 88 car in the Xfinity Series for Junior Motorsports. He finished 24th, and that doesn't seem like a great day for that team at uh, Go Fast Racing, but that is a big day for them. They, they, I don't think they finished 24th all year, maybe on a super speedways with Bobby Labonte, uh, but that's a very good run for that team. It's a very good finish for that team. And also Josh Wise, a 26th place run, a motorsports group. They do it with, with very limited budget, uh, very small pit, pit crew to go out there against these big-time teams, and they beat a lot of them today. A lot of it was staying out of trouble and nutrition, and a lot of it was strategy, but still they get rewarded for a nice run. So congratulations to those guys on nice finishes uh, at Watkins Glen International. Um, guys, I'll get Ryan Beckner's opinion on this first here. Um, news out of Watkins Glen this week was uh, firstly the Dale Jr. press conference, and we'll touch on that a little bit later, but there was a press conference on Friday about Martin Tricks Jr. He's re-signed a two-year contract at Furniture Row Racing. Um, so the speculations of Truex going anywhere are now officially gone as he re-upped the two-year deal. Bass Pro Shops is going to do 16 races on that car instead of 12 races like they've done this year. Uh, Beck, Ryan Beckner, what are your thoughts there on the Martin Truex Jr. re-signing with Furniture Row Racing? I thought it was a great move by the whole organization and Martin Truex in general. Him and Sherry Pollock deserve to be where they're at with that team, and they have certainly shown it the last two years, especially this year. They're, he should have already had near eight wins this year. And to think that uh, they've, they've also brought over several smaller sponsors like Auto Owners Insurance that are also helping out the team too. There's a very good possibility that you'll see some of those sponsors pick up more races or even other sponsors come over to help them out too. Like you said, Bass Pro is moving up a couple races. That's good for that team and good for Truex, who has a long-time relationship with Johnny Morris dating back to his DEI uh, old-school Bush Series days, now Xfinity Series. But it's a very good move for both for both of those, for everybody involved there, especially with the whole Furniture Row Company, Furniture Row Race, and Martin Truex Jr. for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a big it was a big day for those guys. Uh, and a big announcement, John. I thought it was uh, a good move. To, like like Ryan said, Truex has run phenomenal there. Uh, at Furniture Racing, but it's not the only news Furniture Racing made this weekend. Um, it, there was questions asked during the Truex press conference about Eric Jones' future with the team. They kind of swept the rumors under the rug a little bit, made people kind of scratch their head and go, what's going on? But about two hours after the press conference, they announced we're going to have another press conference on Sunday prior to the Cheese at 355 at Watkins Glen International. They did, uh, and that, announced, that meant Eric Jones will drive. It's a one-year deal. They made it clear it's a one-year contract with Eric Jones at Furniture Racing in 2017. Uh, Five-hour energy to sponsor for 22 races um, for Furniture Racing. So a second team for that team, they're going to do it without a charter. Uh, what are your thoughts on Eric Jones 
first, we'll go to John first, then Ryan. What are your thoughts on Eric Jones going to Furniture Racing? Well, one thing Barney Visser did say this morning is he was going to try to find a charter for that second car. Um, I think the one-year deal, and I heard Claire B. talk to Coach Gibbs afterwards that um, because Eric Jones is a Joe Gibbs development driver, and I think Gibbs wants him back in the car for Gibbs whenever Matt Kenseth decides to step away because he's the first driver who will step away from Gibbs of the four that they have. So I think they want him in that 20 car whenever they get the opportunity to. The one thing that I kind of um, think about when it comes to the Furniture Row, I love seeing them grow. What they've done with that team has been pretty darn amazing because when Kenny Wallace first started, it was a backmarker team. When mm-hmm. Regan Smith got in there and they won the Southern 500 that year, everybody thought it was a miracle. But they kept plugging away and plugging away. When Kurt Busch had his fallout with Penske, drove for uh, James Finch, and toward the end of the year they wound up basically swapping Regan Smith for Kurt Busch. And Kurt Busch showed if you put a good driver in that car, it can go somewhere. And then he had the chance to go to Stuart Haas. Everything went haywire at Michael Waltrip Racing, and Martin Truex fell into the 78 car. And the first year Martin was in the 78 car, everything that could have gone wrong did. They didn't match well between crew chief and driver. Sherry Pollock's her cancer hit hard, and he was struggling with everything in his life and also struggling in the race car. And they made the switch and put Cole Pern on top of the pit box. Him and Truex connected like it was peanut butter and jelly, and they've been dead on even with the Chevys last year from Richard Childress Racing, and we all know that RCR is basically the third best, sometimes fourth best Chevy group out there, but Truex was using RCR equipment and put the car into the chase and made it to the final four. They swapped. They went to Toyota this year, so they're getting more money. They're getting factory support that they weren't getting from Chevrolet, which is more money coming in. Um, The other part that surprised me and makes me wonder is where does Stuart Haas go from here because two of their big sponsors that you expected Bass Pro Shops has been with Tony because Tony and Johnny Morris have the same relationship that Martin Truex Jr. and Johnny Morris do but when Tony got hurt again this year Bass Pro Shops backed off their sponsorship from 16 races with Tony Stewart to 4 and they picked up 12 with Furniture Row and they're going to Furniture Row next year for the 16 races that they used to be with Stuart Haas. Everybody expected five-hour energy to stay with Clint Boyer. Whenever you said about it in the show a couple weeks ago, I said, oh, Clint Boyer's going to keep five-hour energy. But no, five-hour energy's going with Eric Jones. What's Mm -hmm. in the sponsorship for the 14 car next year? Because Mobile One, their their contract's up at the end of this year. So it should be interesting to see... (coughs) Excuse me, what happens with the 14 car, basically because of the uptick that Furniture Row Racing and Toyota have had this year and last year. So you're seeing great things out of the group from Colorado, which may impact Tony's car. Yeah, and, and Toyota's really, we've touched on a lot, John. Toyota's been really, really strong uh, this whole season, so that's got a lot to do with it, I'm sure, as well. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I think... Um, furniture row this whole situation i think you touched on it cole Pern's a great engineer he's done a lot of good things over there and something that caught my eye ryan beckner was they have yet to announce a crew chief on eric jones's number 77 toyota for 2017 it should be interesting to see if they go with a uh if they go with the joe gibbs racing car there or not a guy there or not or what route they go um but what are the expectations you think for eric jones here in 2017 uh, what do you do? You expect them to make the chase? What are your expectations there? Well, that's definitely a crazy situation there. Whenever you mention uh, expectations there, because Eric Jones by far has overexceeded any expectation that anybody has had for him throughout his truck series and Xfinity Series competition. He wasn't even running full time last year and was able to win a few races in the Xfinity Series. He even had a few Cup starts in Kyle Busch's car, and and you know he had some really good runs in that car too. 
and people, you know, he was he, he was over exceeding what, what was expected of any rookie these days. Because there's been several drivers who have gotten rushed to the Cup Series or even just rushed up through the ranks. People that come to my mind are old school drivers like Todd Cleaver back when he was at Roush. Uh, you know, uh, the unfortunate deal with Brian Clawson right now, he was also rushed in straight into NASCAR, didn't get the chance to run a full season anywhere before he unfortunately had to had to back out of NASCAR and go back to racing uh, sprint cars and then also racing Indy cars. You think of uh, people like Kyle Larson, too. He didn't have very many. He didn't even run trucks for a full season. He got thrown straight into Xfinity. And, you know, I thought I thought that hurt his progress. And I've always felt that if you don't have that perfect progress, throughout the race of running full-time to get the feel for these race cars, you're not going to be that good of a driver, or it'll take you a little bit longer to catch on. And I'm I'm really a huge fan of how Gibbs has done with Eric Jones, just like how Penske has with Ryan Blaney. I do wish Blaney would get at least a, would have had some full-time racing in the Xfinity Series under a Penske car before he getting moved to the woods, but sometimes money talks, and sometimes those deals happen. A lot like this one, Five Hour Energy. I'm with, I'm with John. I thought they were going to stay with Clint Boyer. But I've been reading and hearing through the grapevine that there's been a lot of uh, talks behind the scenes that haven't gone well between Monster Energy being with Kurt and Five Hour Energy coming over. Right. I, I actually mm-hmm. uh, back you know if this would have been two years ago or three years ago I would have I would have said yeah that's a big deal right there because that's you know that's a breach of contract there you can't have two companies that are the same under the same kind of business on the same race team that was until Farmers Insurance and Nationwide Insurance went to Hendrick. And they were both together. I was telling people back then that Casey Kane was in trouble now that Nationwide was coming over. Well, it didn't work out that way. They apparently was able to right. work out the contracts. And I was expecting Five Fire Energy to do the same. It unfortunately didn't happen. And fortunately for Eric Jones, they've gone with him for 22 races. I think the expectations for him are going to be extremely, extremely high now that he's already overly proven himself in the Truck Series and Xfinity Series. But then you mentioned the crew chief deal. If they don't, if they don't get a good crew chief from another race team, I expect them to essentially do exactly what what Rouse did with Chris Busher. He's on a loan over to Front Row Motorsports, and so is Bob Osborne. They're both they're both under contract with Rouse, despite Front Row Motorsports and Loves and all the sponsors they got. Eric Jones is in the same boat. He's on loan over to Furniture Row Racing with Five Hour Energy. I expect him to have a, a crew chief on loan over to him, and I would not be surprised at all if it's one of the four Gibbs crew chiefs that they have right now in the coaching. Yeah, or or somebody move up somebody from the Xfinity series because they treat that Xfinity series team a lot like a minor league team where they bring up drivers like you mentioned before. Uh, Eric Jones has been there and he, he's uh, brought, brought up a lot of drive. They brought up drivers from Eric Jones and stuff like that. Uh, and Daniel Suarez are doing it with and a lot of crew chiefs. They've, they've brought up that way too. Jason Ratcliffe was in their Xfinity series for a little while. Uh, they had Adam Stevens in their Xfinity series for a little while as well. So. They brought up these guys here, Mike Wheeler for Denny Hamlin's crew chief as well. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go that way as well. But uh, something, you know, to, to think about here is it too is um, Eric Jones, for example. Uh, you know, he's a he's a great young driver. And something that I thought happened with Kyle Larson, and John Harwell, I'll get your thoughts on this in a minute here. I thought when Larson came to the Spring Cup Series, it was – kind of a little bit premature. Uh, and Larson, I think, only ran one full-time Xfinity Series season in the, in the Xfinity Series before moving up to the Cup Series, but they had to move him up because this is a, a very, very cutthroat business as far as young drivers are concerned, where a Sprint Cup Series owner is going to come down and grab the, the top young talent in this series and bring them up to the Cup Series. Um, you know, we saw a little bit of that when Bubba Wallace was sort of out of a ride at Joe Gibbs Racing, and Roush Fenway kind of threw him in that car and said, okay, you know, we have something for you, a full-time ride that Joe Gibbs doesn't have. Um, and it, that would go on in the Cup Series as well. But, you know, I think that's got a little bit to do with Eric Jones here. He's only run a full-time year in Xfinity compared to, like, a driver like Ty Dillon, who's in his third year in the Xfinity Series, and he's moving up to Cup Series next year, according to all reports. So it's kind of curious as to why he's run one year. But it's the fact that, you know, maybe Jack Roush would say, hey, listen, you know, there's kind of a log jam over there at Joe Gibbs Racing. Why don't you come run a cup series for me uh, and stuff like that. So they had to get in the cup car before somebody else uh, took them. And I, I think that's a very, very good point uh, that John Harlow uh, has brought up. And, and what are your thoughts there? Um, hold, hold on. You know what, guys? I'm going to go to a, a call here. We got a call here. Um, 
and we will uh, take it now. What's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Lee in Virginia. Hi, Lee. What do you want to talk about today? Um, I wanted to talk about the Eric Jones thing that you guys are talking about, and I just wanted to add another aspect to it. I think Clayton was about to touch on it, but, um, you know, it's they these cup owners do want to bring these young guys. I think another aspect of it is, and, we, and somebody didn't somebody touched on this this morning, was Martin Truex Jr. That, that there's rumors that he has been courted by was being courted by Hendrick Motorsports uh, because, and I think part of the reason is because Hendrick knows he's losing at the Toyotas. They're trying to get somebody out of the Toyota camp to go to Hendrick Motorsports to try and leak their secrets. Uh, because they're losing out right now. And the the big thing about the Jones contract is it's a one-year deal, and what's he going to do after 2017? Yeah, it, listen, it, it's it's a very good um, it's a very good point. You know, I think it, it's a it's a fair point. And, you know, uh, John Hall, we'll go to you first. What do you think about that? Uh, apparently the Truex contract, and this is rumors, you know, we've heard over uh, that Lee has heard here. Um, what do you Truex, was, his contract was a little held up because maybe Hendrick Motorsports was courting him to try and get some Toyota secrets. It looks like Hendrick now, you know, they're behind the game. Everybody's well aware of where they are as far as uh, how they've run this year. But what are your thoughts on that? Uh, do you think that had any legs, or what are your thoughts? It probably had some legs. I mean, if if you're Mr. Hendrick and you, have a dri- you see the best driver that's out there, you're going to throw your two cents in there and try to make a move. I mean, you remember when Dale Earnhardt Jr. came available, he had four drivers in the stable. Kyle Busch was still under contract, and he released Kyle Busch from his contract to put Jr. in the stable. So Mr. Hendrick isn't about to sit pat with the four drivers he has. If he can improve it, he's going to, and it wouldn't have been good for Casey Kane in that case. But I think where it came to Martin Truex is when Sherry got sick and Barney Visser said, you take whatever time you need. If you need to take the rest of the season off and be with Sherry, you go do that. The ride is there for you. And he showed that faith in Martin whenever he was going through one of his toughest times in his life. I think Martin was going to stick with Furniture Row if an offer was close to anything else that he was getting. Where I see with the Eric Jones situation is – you saw back in the day with Jeff Gordon, he was coming up with Bill Davis and Ford, and Mr. Hendricks saw a chance to scoop him up and get him out of the Ford camp. You've heard Ford Racing folks say, we're looking for young drivers. We want to build mm-hmm. that next bench. Toyota, one of the first things they said is, hey, we developed this kid from late models through trucks, through Xfinity. This is the first totally Toyota brought-up driver to make the Cup Series. Toyota was not going to let Eric Jones go. Somebody was going to put him in a seat next year because Toyota put too much time and effort into Eric Jones to have him scooped up and taken away by a Tony Stewart. If he puts him in the car that should have been Boyer's, or if Mr. H drags him over to Hendrick Motorsports or something like that, They weren't going to let that happen, so Toyota was going to make sure there was a second car there available at Furniture Row because Gibbs has their four with the Toyota factory backing, with everything that TRD brings to the table. Toyota was not letting Eric Jones out of the system. And if you remember preseason, Coach Gibbs said flat out that Eric Jones would be driving in the Cup Series in 2017. It was a matter of where. Yeah, and they got that done. Ryan, your final thoughts here before we move on uh, on the Eric Jones situation. Well, my favorite thing that's been brought up so far is what John said about how Toyota uh, is not going to let this kid go, and rightfully so. They shouldn't. You look at some of the drivers we have racing currently, even some in the past, some of them have been let go from those car manufacturers whenever they shouldn't have. You look at uh, you look at Joey Logano, for example. Actually, I have to take that back. You look at both of the Penske drivers. For example, you know, uh, Chevy was putting, and Hendrick were putting a lot of effort into grooming Brad Keselowski, and they did. He was the only nationwide at the time series driver that was winning races against all of those Coke guys, and he was a top-tier talent at the time. Well, they had no room for him. Mark Martin wanted to stay another year instead of Mr. Hendrick saying, Mark, I apologize. I have to bring Brad up or somebody will scoop him up. They kept Mark there, 
And after that 2009 year where he won four races, he never won a race again or even had a competitive season after that. And they missed out on me. Penske wrapped him up, and, you know, 21 wins later in championship in 2012, and Brad's now one of the superstars of our sport. Mr. H missed out on that. And you look at Joey Logano. You know, he he ran, he ran at least one or two years in the late model series and in the uh, K&N East series at the time. Mm-hmm. And with the Chevrolet, whenever Gibbs were running Chevrolets. And then after that, they switched to Toyotas, and he was with Toyota. Back then, he was their first young driver that they thought they wanted to bring up. He was also another one that got rushed straight to the Cup Series under unfortunate circumstances, if you do, if I do say so, with Tony Stewart just leaving and former Stewart Haas racing. They still had Craig Zimbabwe, still had Home Depot. Let's groom this young driver. He'll be the next superstar. It unfortunately did not work out that way. He did get a couple wins over there, but... You know, he never had those uh, chase seasons or competitive seasons that he should have. So Toyota said, look, he, he, he's not performed all that well. And Gibbs has thought the same. It's like, we're going to let him go and go pick up somebody else. And they went with a veteran Matt Kenda. Penske picked up Logano. And, well, <laughs> you see where Logano is now. He's one of the most front runners, like you mentioned, one of the most diverse NASCAR drivers we have today. So Penske has two drivers right now that they particularly did not groom. But they have groomed into their own development drivers that they have and into race-winning drivers. That's hard to come by these yeah. days. So Toyota, who also lost Kyle Larson, I forgot to mention that right. one. He was also another mm-hmm. young driver that they groomed for a little while. And then they unfortunately lost him to Ganassi and Chevrolet. And, you know, yeah, Toyota, Toyota is learning, you know. They really are. They're learning a lot. They've lost two very good superstars in the sport right now. And they're not driving Toyotas. They're driving the Ford and the Chevrolet. They don't want to lose Eric Jones. Yeah. They really need him. And I feel like Daniel Suarez in the same boat, same with William Byron. All of those Joe Gibbs racing development drivers, Drivers, boy, man, they they have a lot going for them. The only problem is that these guys are going to need homes in the future. And these veteran drivers over at Gibbs, you mentioned Matt Kenseth possibly retiring first, and Denny Hamlin was in a contract year. You know, we don't expect none of them guys to go anywhere this year. But what about next year? What about 2018? Right, not no. What about 2019? There's there's so much going on there. Eric Jones, he will be in the Joe Gibbs racing car probably by 2018. Just like Chris Buescher, he will be in the Rouse car. If it's not next year, it'll be in 2018. Right, it's an it's an interesting uh, situation for everybody involved. I mean, there's so many layers to it, and, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. I think Jones uh, is a guy who can win a lot of races in, in the right stuff, but we'll see on how far he's able to uh, to to do in 2017. Lee, um, what is there anything else, Lee, you want to talk about tonight? I thought it was a good race today in Watkins Glen. Um, I was a little disappointed at the end there with the move that Adrian Mundinger pulled. Um, I know he apologized for yeah. it, but he hit that curbing, and he's a better driver than that. He really is. And he knew there was a driver on the outside of him, and he hit the curbing, I think, being a little too aggressive, trying to get just one more extra spot, and wrecked Kyle Larson. And, you know, he didn't do it intentionally. It was an accident. But AJ's a better driver than that. I was a little disappointed in that, you know, uh, 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 Keselowski was a little too aggressive as well, but um, I thought it was a good race in Watkins Glen. The tire we thought was going to be nightmare, which I think was good for the fans. It was hard on the drivers, but it was entertaining for the fans both races because uh, you know the drivers really couldn't get uh, much grip, they couldn't get much uh, an idea of what the racetrack was going to do, and it was, they were sliding around a lot. And I think that made it good for the race fan. It made it entertaining, and we were a little concerned that it was going to be a lot of follow the leaders type of racing. So. Um, it, it worked out pretty nicely for for the tire. They were a good year, even though it was a hard tire and it didn't fall off. It actually ended up being a good thing because they couldn't. It was so hard they couldn't get any grip with it, and it worked out nicely. Yeah, it was. A, it was. A, yeah. It was a. Uh, that, that's a very good point as far as how hard the tires were. The drivers were slipping and sliding. Um, and to your Amaldinger point, you know, it's a final lap there, so I think a, a, the give and take is taken away a little bit. I think that's where you know you kind of have to sit there and, and say. What's the give? What's really the proper give and take on that final lap? Uh, and that's that's a question, you know. And they're not running for a win, and they're running for points. And, and the bad part is, you know, that was a guy who, like, like I said about Truex, when Truex spun, you sat there and you said, well, you know, he's in the chase, so it's not going to hurt him that badly. He ended up finishing eighth anyway. But when Larson spun, you know, he couldn't get he couldn't get refired, so he lost all those cars on the lead lap and lost all those points, and that really hurts him as far as the chase is concerned. So yeah, that was a tough deal. Uh, and I don't think um, Almanier should be racing that way. Like, well, the guy in front of me is running for a chase, so I better back off. You know, I don't think he, he's even thinking that at that point. So, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, though. It's it's an interesting uh, – it was an interesting situation between the two drivers there. Um, 
John Harlow, we'll get to your, you know, uh, let me just update the Dale Earnhardt Jr. situation real quick uh, as we move forward here. Dale Earnhardt Jr. had an announcement this weekend at uh, at Watkins Glen International, had a press conference. Um, what did you take away from it? He's, he announced he's missing Michigan and Bristol. Jeff Gordon will continue to sub into number 88 Chevrolet. He'll be reevaluated, uh, you know, whether he'll miss um, Darlington and Richmond. Uh, remains to be seen, but what are your thoughts on the Dale Earnhardt Jr. press conference this weekend? Is there anything new that you took away, or is it pretty much status quo like we like we expected? It's a lot of the status quo. The one thing that I continue to take away from it is Dale Jr. is putting his life first, which is something you don't see a lot of drivers do. At least we didn't used to before the way NASCAR has changed things, because Again, we remember Ricky Rudd driving with eyes taped open with duct tape to be able to compete because that's how they made their money. It's like uh, Tony Stewart said earlier this week, he ran a race and wrecked in it, ran the next race and doesn't remember running it because he probably had a concussion from the race before. But if they didn't run those races, they didn't have groceries on the table. They didn't pay their tire bill. Now at the cup level and all that stuff, they're financially secure in what they're doing. Their life is pretty much set for them because they've made a good deal of money, and if they've invested well, which Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s sister Kelly has done well for him, they should be fine the rest of their lives. The goal is to have a rest of your life, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. is doing the smart thing. The doctors are making sure. And the last thing you want, and Jr. even said about it, he looks right he wants to throw up. You can't have that in the car because guess what? You got to look to your right to see who's coming up on your coming up on your right side or see how close you are to the wall. He can't be driving like that. So, in the effort of him being able to take care of himself in the long run, in the effort of safety for the other drivers on the track, completely continue to commend Dale Jr. And I hope he stays out of the car until he is 100% healthy. And they've pretty much already come to the fact that the 88 car will not make the chase. So let's make sure they take extra caution in getting Junior back in the car and not put him in before he's 110% ready. No, I think you're absolutely right, John. I don't think we're going to see Junior in that 88 car uh, moving forward until he's 100% healthy. Uh, Ryan Beckner, real quick, what uh, what was your – Opinion on the Dale Earnhardt Jr. situation this week? Uh, his he went like I said at the press conference this weekend. Uh, what, were your, what was your takeaway? Anything new to add? Well, I have the same thoughts that John had on it. There was, you know, he's putting life ahead of him, and I've been telling people that in my NASCAR group and on Twitter and telling friends and family that I have a lot. My dad's a junior fan. I've been telling, texting him about it and talking to him about it. I'm just like he's putting life before his career. I mean, you just don't see that. Hardly, hardly anymore. I mean, how many athletes have retired and come back because they simply don't have the money to do what they want to do in life, or they've made bad life decisions? I don't think Junior is one of those people at all. He has. I don't. I'm not going to say he's never made mistakes in his life because he's obviously made plenty of those, just like me and you guys have. But you know, he he's like you said, Kelly's invested well, and he wants. He's getting married to Amy soon, and he did talk about he wanted a family. If he's going to be doing any of that, or if he even wants NASCAR-wise Junior Motorsports to be prosperous and even go farther or not lose that huge investment. He needs to be there for it. And he, and, I, and like John said, he's putting all of that ahead of his career. And that just, that's just awesome right there. I mean, people need to understand exactly what he's doing right there. I know people want him back in the car really bad. And I know the racetracks and NASCAR definitely want him back in the car because we all know the night race at Bristol is here is the next race in two weeks. That's also a crown jewel event in most people's eyes and being the night race at Bristol. And he's not going to be racing there. The ticket sales are going to be hurting a lot. I was there in the spring race. It was like being at a hometown football game. There wasn't hardly anybody there. And I'm like, yeah. I hope more people will show up to this race. Now that Junior is not going to be there, well, how many ticket sales are that going to hurt? It's going to hurt it tremendously. But with Gordon in that car, it's going to actually, I would say, cut it in half and bring more people back to the track just for that very reason. But with all of that right. being said, I really like uh, – the one thing I really like, and I'm not saying this is not 100% true, but I feel like Junior is not holding back as much when it came to answering those questions. It was like John said, he he talked about turning his head to the right, and he wanted to throw up. You know, you can't do that in a race car. I mean, if this was back in the day, or if Junior had one of those doctors or even one of those pub, uh, PR people that said, don't tell the media any of this, we cannot let them find out, 
because if they do, you're done. You know that we've seen movies and TV shows that have that kind of stuff. They they hide their injuries so they can keep going. Sometimes it works for them. Sometimes it don't. And I feel like Junior yeah, is not sure. hiding hiding a lot of things. And I'm not. Like I said he might be hiding some stuff. You know, I'm not going to call him out on it or going to say he is or isn't. But but let's just go on a limb and say he's not hiding everything he was talking about. I respect the heck out of that right there. Like he's able to talk about that and. That's going to help Absolutely. more drivers and football players and just anybody that will have a concussion in a car accident on, on, on the, in the highway. It's going to help everybody in the future knowing, hey, that was a system he had. He wanted to look right and wanted to throw up. You know, how I many yep, more drivers have had that in the past or will in the future? I think it's going to be a huge beneficial. This is this is going to be so huge whenever it's all over and done with. People just don't realize it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be huge uh, for everybody involved. Um, Lee... Anything to add real quick uh, here in the last minute here on Dale Earnhardt Jr.? Uh, yeah, just I think he sounded better. It was the first time that I think he sounded like Dale Earnhardt Jr. during the press conference, which I thought was very promising. You know, all the other times we've heard him speak since his injury, um, you could hear that there was some something definitely wrong with him in his brain. This was the first time that I think we really uh, he really sounded like Dale Jr. I think he was happy to be at the racetrack. So that is progress. How much longer he's going to be out? Well, we'll see. But my question to everybody out there is, what if this was Cole Witt? What if this was, you know, a young Chris Buescher coming up who, you know, needs to make a chase, needs to continue to run every single week? There's no way that they'll be able to step out of the race car and do that. Um, you know, Dale Jr. should be commended for it, but Dale Earnhardt Jr. also has the finances and the opportunity and the ability to do that because he's Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, and so mm-hmm. to me, it's just it's a little scary that those young drivers we know they have a, they're making a name for themselves, and I'm not sure there's anything we could ever do about that in the future, and it's scary for me as a race fan. It is. It's very scary. And just hope that the uh, advances in, in safety will help that. Lee, thanks again. You're always a great call, and we appreciate you uh, joining us on the show tonight. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Um, and real quick here, in the last couple of minutes, we start started the show talking – about Brian Clawson, the USAC midget star. He's won a ton of races on the USAC, uh, a bunch of championships. Um, you know, as we get here, you know, like I said earlier, John, uh, it's a dangerous sport we 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 love here. It's a dangerous sport. It always has been, especially in the lower ranks where safety isn't taken to isn't taken to the degree as we see in the NASCAR Sprint Cup, NASCAR Xfinity, and NASCAR Campbell Truck Series. Um, but what are your thoughts here? Last couple of minutes of the show. On, on the Brian Clawson situation. Well, Kurt Cavan from the Indianapolis Star updated the story on Brian Clawson a little after 9 o'clock tonight, uh, that Brian is in critical condition from severe injuries that uh, happened in a midget crash in Kansas last night. There is a YouTube video on the Indy Star page. It's very, very tough to watch, especially if you love this love racing the way we do. Uh, Clawson was leading the race when he got caught up with a lap car, wound up flipping around the fence. His damaged car wound up on the feet, on the on the course, and Ryan Graff had nowhere to go and wound up crashing into his roll cage. It took him a half hour to get Clawson out of the car. Um, he's still listed in critical condition. The family said he is severely injured and have no further details that they've provided. Um, Two of the big NASCAR drivers you saw, Denny Hamlin, after his win today on his Twitter page, prayers for Brian Clawson. Tony Stewart, same thing. Brian used to drive for Tony Stewart. He was trying to drive 200 races this year, and after finishing 23rd in the Indianapolis 500, he went to Kokomo Speedway later that night and won the 30-lap sprint car race. Brian Clawson is a heck of a driver, drove for Chip Ganassi, and it's a developmental driver, is 18. He won an ARCA race, 26 Xfinity starts, finishing as high as fifth, but went back and still racing dirt, racing USAC, racing the world of outlaws. Um, I know on behalf of Clayton and Ryan and Lee and Virginia, all of our prayers are with Brian Clausen and his family mm-hmm. for a recovery. Anytime you hear that a driver was airlifted out somewhere, the last one we heard was Kevin Swindell and he's battling back from paralysis. So our prayers are with Brian Clawson and his family. And it's just so sad to see such a great driver. Just consequences got him, and it wasn't anything major of his doing. 
Yeah, it's sad. It's a it's a horrible situation. It's something in this sport that, like you said, it's it's just to be the nature of the beast sometimes. Uh, we're going to lose our live audience here in about seven seconds, and I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. To listen to the rest of the show, um, please go to our YouTube and our, our Facebook and Twitter pages. But real quick, guys, I want to touch on something here. Um, uh, Tommy Joe Martins is coming on. We're going to do a special edition tomorrow of Talking in Circles. Uh, Tommy Joe Martins had a had a great blog this weekend uh, called The Problem, Part One. Tommy Joe Martins is a NASCAR Camping World Truck Series driver, um, and it it brought up a lot of uh, interesting topics, which we won't dive into until uh, maybe next week uh, after we get done with the interview with Lars with Martins, but. Uh, it touched on a lot of interesting topics about money in this sport and how talent, um, you know, sometimes money overrides talent a lot in a sport, and it's getting worse and worse. I think Brian Clawson might be a great example of that. When he lost his sponsor, he was, uh, you know, he lost basically his NASCAR career, and he's a great talent and somebody who um, I think with a little bit more seasoning would have been able to win a lot of races in the Cup Series, but just didn't have that seasoning. Um, but we're going to, like I said, we're going to do a special edition of Talking Circles tomorrow with Tommy Joe Martins at 1 o'clock p.m. on Monday. So uh, I'll be posting it all night to, um, to Facebook and Twitter uh, if, if you want to listen in to that interview. John Harlow, you do a great job. Ryan Beckner, you do a great job. I want to thank you guys so much for all the help this week. Uh, really tough circumstances. I know it's Sunday night and you guys got a lot of uh, things to do. I appreciate you guys taking a little time out to help me to help us out here on Talking Circles. And uh, like John Harlow said, and I know I'm sure Ryan Beckner agrees, our thoughts and prayers are with the Clawson family and Brian Clawson's family and friends. And we'll see you next time on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.